0: Go really far away from y'all tonight. You should come down to the floor and address you there. Well, if you're like me, uh, sometimes you need to have your memory jogged about where we are and what we're doing. There's a lot of things going on here at the church. Uh, Class on Sunday morning, dealing a lot with ministry. Uh, Our sermon series on Sunday morning is now transitioning from the book of Luke into the book of Acts. And on Sunday nights, we're spending time in Romans chapter 8. So we hope and all the things that we're doing, we're catching you in some place in a way that can help you grow um, in your faith and in your walk with God. Our series on Sunday nights, so we're spending nine weeks in just the chapter of Romans, chapter eight. Romans chapter eight is sort of the, the turning point in the book of Romans. It, it leads you all the way up. Uh, it's probably the most profound exposition of the gospel that we ever have found in the Bible. Um, Romans chapter 1 through really chapter the end of chapter 5, chapter 6 and chapter 7 talk about how we respond. And chapter 8 brings us to this great awareness, this newness of life. And what we're looking at is the fact that Paul is exposing to us that we have a newness of life, a a new life that is based upon the fact that there are new realities, objective realities in the world because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that Christian can have a new life, not because they have this internal, mystical, new, uh, one-time experience, but rather we learn to live in response to the new realities, and in living in response to those, we become new people. Our text tonight is going to open our eyes to another new reality as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So this reality doesn't exist if Jesus didn't do what he did. So, um, you know, we see a lot of similarities in God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's some differences, but this reality tonight that we're learning about does not and cannot exist without Jesus Christ. So if you are now in Christ, you have the access to this new reality. When we know it and when we believe it is when our lives will begin to change. The truth that we're going to learn about tonight, about the Holy Spirit, can have a dramatic on how you relate to God, how you understand how you relate to God. And it will, when you understand the gift of uh, what we're going to talk about tonight in the Holy Spirit, you will, it will increase your gratitude for Jesus and what He went through so that you could have this very gift. Now, what's strange about what we're going to talk about tonight is the way that we've paired these verses down through this text. Um, it just so happens that these three verses are bound together. And the majority of what we're going to talk about is not really calling upon you to do something. There's not a lot of action that's being called upon. What we're really trying to do is reveal to you what Scripture is showing us about the Holy Spirit. And when you understand this, when you believe it, when it makes sense to you, that's what will change your life. So tonight we're going to answer uh, four really, really simple questions about this. The text lays out really simple for you. The beginning of verse 26 asks the first question that's going to be answered. What does the Spirit actually do? Um, now, as we learned this morning, we talked about the Holy Spirit this morning, so you are get a double dose of that. Uh, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but particularly in this text, we're going to learn something that the Spirit does for us. Number two, we'll learn in the middle of verse 26, why He has to do that. Three, in um, the end of 26 and the end of 27 we're going to learn how the spirit actually ends up doing this what he does and finally in verse 28 we're going to say well what's the end result what's the goal of that so let's start with what does the spirit actually do what is paul telling us about the holy spirit uh, the one word that pops up at the very beginning of verse 26 is the word help help look look at that in verse 26 at the very beginning he says likewise the spirit helps the Spirit helps. Now, this particular section of Scripture is rolling on, rolling on after uh, verses 18 through 25 where Paul gives us this explanation of a hope of this potential place that we're going to dwell, this, this hope of the Christian life, that in spite of the suffering and evil that exists in this world, we can have a hope of an anchor of the soul. If we're willing to suffer with Christ, this hope will save us. And he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us helps us now the word help is incredibly common most of you probably use it in your everyday language Um, it's probably something that you have woven into your everyday lives some observations about this word can help us make sense of what the Spirit does first of all when you think about the word help help is always something that is when it's given it's about the other person not about you so for instance in my life I have accumulated a, a whole host of really gifted and talented friends, um, not by mistake. You know, I've got a, a friend that knows how to fix HVAC. I don't know if he's here. Don't tell him. Um, I've got a—he's shaking his head right now. I've got a friend that has every tool imaginable and doesn't just have the tools; and knows how to fix them. Seems Cody. I've got a friend that um, you know works in construction. i have got a friend like Greg Hall. All these friends that are incredibly helpful people. And when I call them and say, hey Tim, my heater is making a screeching loud train noise. I don't know what that means. And he you know, will get on FaceTime and I'll like show him what it looks like. And he tells me what's wrong. Um, even though I've got the phone and I'm like touching the things he tells me to touch and moving the things he tells me to move, I'm not helping him, would you agree? He's helping me. Tim's saying amen, right? He's like, he's like, no, uh, you're not helping. In fact, a lot of times I get in the way of help. But um, when I call on somebody to help me, and I may even participate. You know, I may even, like, move a screwdriver, hold a flashlight, do something. I'm actually not helping them. They're helping me. Why? Because the problem belongs to who? It belongs to me. Okay? So help is always, when it's given, about the other person not about you. Number two, help is best offered by someone who is actually able to help. Um, and this can vary in degrees. You might just need somebody to pick up something heavy. So they might not need to be technically skilled at something or or proficient. They just might need to be able to move something for you. But you might actually, at times, need help from somebody that has a particular skill, a particular training. So help, when the problem is serious, is best given by someone who is actually able to do that and the best kind of help is the help that corresponds with your actual needs so have you ever asked for help from somebody like maybe you've got a particular problem and you ask this person for help and they end up adding to the problem instead of helping the problem or or maybe they bring in a lot of their extra comments and their extra thoughts and a new way to do something and it has nothing to do with what you're talking about and the problem just gets worse it doesn't get better The best kind of help is the kind of help that corresponds exactly with what you need. And finally, a request for help always requires an admission of need. it can be kind of hard for us as humans to ask for that. Uh, It's interesting if you observe our lives. like, Like, we're pretty quick to ask for help in some areas, but really uncomfortable to ask for help in other areas. It's a strange thing. But for us to request help, it first requires that we know that we need something. So when the Bible says the Holy Spirit provides help, it means, number one, that he is giving to us something that is what we need. It is being given to us by him because he is someone who is able to deliver with us for, for us what we need. And it requires for us to acknowledge that we actually do have some need. The word help means to come alongside someone who is laboring. That means to come along into their world, into their context, while they're laboring, and provide the help that corresponds with their need. So if they're doing a particular thing, and you watch them doing that, and they need help, and come alongside and you answer that particular need. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us alongside with ability to help for us, help us with needs that we actually do have now the second question is this that's what he does he provides help now well why does he have to do that we, we sort of already answered this question but let's look a little bit deeper why does the holy spirit actually have to provide us with help well this goes to point number four what we we're just saying the request of help always requires that we acknowledge that we have a need And here here is how Paul describes it in the middle of verse 26. And we know for those who, uh, I'm sorry, down in verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our weakness. The word weakness is just the idea that we are in a condition without ability, without strength, that we find ourselves in a place that we have something that needs to be done that we don't have the capacity to to do it. Now, we're going to undercover in just a moment what that thing is that we need accomplished because uh, this might sound sort of like a blank check, you know, great, the Holy Spirit's going to help us in all that we need, and here's a whole list of things that I need done, Holy Spirit, so get after this list, and that'd be great. The Holy Spirit is addressing what the Bible says to be our weakness, our condition to not be able to address a need that we have. Now, we, it's important for us to connect with this back to chapter 8, verse 23, um, because this language is really similar. Look back in chapter 8, verse 23, just a few verses north of 26, where he says um, he's talking about how because of sin, the creation was subjected to fertility, uh, it was struggling. Um, creation itself is longing to be released from the brokenness that sin has brought into the world, the actual creation. And then he says in verse 23, but not only creation is longing to be released from this, um, but also we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, what Paul is getting after is that there's experience both in creation and in people That in light of living in a broken and sinful world, both sin outside of us and sin within us, that there's an immense amount of frustration that exists in the world today. Frustration born out of being in a broken world, longing for our world to be better. Most people agree with that, that we live in a world that still possesses evil, that we would like to have eradicated. Now, what that evil is and how we get rid of it, people differ, but we all agree that we want that to be different. But we also acknowledge that there's a brokenness in us that we long to not be there anymore. There's a brokenness that we long to have a better self, you might say. And this is our weakness. And our weakness is manifest in the way that Paul describes in verse 26, in the fact that we don't know actually what to pray for. You see, the way he's drilling this down to show us that we do have a weakness, that we're actually unable to solve our problem of sin, we're actually unable to solve the problem of evil that exists in the world, is that you and I, the way we see this is that we don't actually even know how to pray. You probably found this to be true. It's pretty hard to pray for really big things. It's hard to, to, for us to muster up the right words to address things like mass shootings or things like um, ma- major issues like homelessness or hunger, things like that. Or even if you look within inside yourself, as the Hebrew writer would call it, the sin that is so closely aligned to you, the sin that so easily ensnares you. Most of us, when we are aware of these big, major, heavy things, find it really difficult to know how to actually pray for those things. To pray, uh, it's really interesting to look into this word. uh, You have to think about what, what do you think the word pray means? What does it mean to pray? Well, when you look into the what the Bible is trying to explain about prayer, prayer is a really, really deep subject. But, but very simply, the word means this: to exchange wishes. Now, the word wish is not like you know fairy tale kind of wish upon a star thing. Wishes is your will, your desire, what you long for. Now, think about this: the word prayer means to exchange what you desire for. So that means in prayer, as I as I point my face and direct my prayer to God, I'm giving to Him the things I most long for, the most the things I desire for. But the word prayer doesn't mean just projecting desire. It doesn't mean just catapulting or, or, or shooting out my desire, discharging my desire. That's not what prayer means. Prayer is an exchange of desire. So what do you think happens in prayer Is supposed to happen That as I bring to God my deepest desires, the things that are on my heart, the will, the wishes that I may have, as I bring them to him, what also is supposed to be happening? An exchange of those things. Meaning, I'm giving him mine, but he's also, in prayer, giving me his. That I'm learning to connect with his will, not just wanting to see my will happen. And the work of prayer is probably best understood as that it's not just God always modifying our circumstances and situations prayer is not just you and I figuring out the right combination of words to get God to modify our current situation that's not what prayer is prayer is in the state of our situation in the circumstance that we find ourselves God actually modifying us changing us sure he might alter and, and affect circumstances and situations that might actually happen in some places in some cases but in fact sometimes the very circumstances that drive me to prayer God put them there so that we would actually be able to pray that we would learn of our dependence and it's a great grace of God to make us aware of our need of him and in prayers we turn and say God this is frustrating me this is hard this relationship is difficult this circumstance is really difficult for me in prayer, you're giving God your will, but God is also giving you back His. This is not something if we're honest that we do well. If we look deep into our own life, we'll probably find that a majority of our prayer life is self-centered. A vast majority. If you do an inventory of what you pray for, a large portion of it probably is, I would like this circumstance to change, I would like this person fixed. fix, I would like this situation to be better, can you relieve this pain? Can you fix this subterfuge? A lot of it is. That's what makes our prayer life so hard sometimes. Here's where we see what the Spirit does for us. So, so what the Spirit does, He helps us in the very thing that we need. We're going to learn what that is now. Second thing, He has to do it because of our weakness that we don't know exactly how to pray for these big types of things that we need. So, let's look at how He helps. Number three, verse 26. The end of 26 into 27. The word that Paul uses twice is the word "intercede." This is another word for prayer that is help in action. And at the end of verse twenty-six, he says it this way: um, "We don't know what we, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, um, with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit." Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, let's make some sense of this. How does the Spirit actually help us? That we don't know how to pray for the things that we need. He says, Paul says here that he intercedes for the saints according to God's will. Uh, the word intercede means that it, it has the concept of like bending over backwards for somebody or, or stooping down to help them. Um, it means to step in and do something that will provide for that person the ultimate benefit that they need. So to intercede means I see a need that you have that can lead to a benefit of your life, and I'm willing because you're not able to step in and do something to help that benefit come to fruition in your life. So when Paul says the Spirit intercedes for you, it means that he steps in for you when you are unable to bring about this change. When you're unable to bring about this desired result, he steps in for you to bring about something for your ultimate benefit. Now, probably one of the best ways to understand this is those of you that are parents. um, You got a broader view, a longer view than what your children have in their life. And as you interact with your children and you're working with them, there are probably many times that you have to make decisions for them that is for their ultimate benefit, for their ultimate good. And what we find is, uh, parents, I think you can ask me this question. You might respond the way I would like, probably. Do your children always agree with your decisions on what will bring about their ultimate benefit? Everybody's going to say, what, what do you think? Do you, you know, even, even little, and they grow up, and they're, you know, teenagers. And they, do they always agree with you and say, man, father, mother, you know, full-length. I completely agree with how you see I should live my life and not have cupcakes for dinner, and I completely agree with this decision because you have what's best for me in mind. I appreciate that very much. That's not a common experience, is it, for our parents and children? Children don't always see the decision their parents are making as they intercede in their life to bring about the very best benefit, but here's what parents do. They do this because they have a long-range view of the child's life. What they want for that child, the well-being for that child. Uh, The parent looks at the child and says, I want this to come about for this child's life. I want this good to happen in their life. So I'm going to uh, intercede when they're doing something that is not for their benefit and lead them to their ultimate benefit, even if they're kicking and screaming and disagreeing with me. Even if. Here's a question parents. Where did we ever learn to do that? Because if we're honest, it is easier for us in the short term to give them what they want, Right? Guilty of that at times. At night, when I just want to, leave, here, take that. Yeah, you can have one more popsicle. To go. You know, and just we just want a breath. But what? Where do we learn in us to look at a child under our care and say, "I have a long-term goal for you to be a certain thing, to have good. So therefore, I will intercede for your ultimate benefit, even when you kick and scream this and Where do you? Learn? And so the Holy Spirit is doing that for you right now. And sometimes you kick and scream. And sometimes you bang your hands and you know scream to the heavens wanting things to be different, wanting things to be your way. And sometimes God doesn't get rid of all the things that you want Him to get rid of. And sometimes God doesn't give you in an easy way the things that you want. That you think, God, if you just gave me... This small thing, how many of you have made this deal with God? This job, this cushion in my bank account, this place in life, this, if you gave me this, all the pieces would fall into place and I'd be fine. And you see that as God give me this, and my ultimate benefit will be found, and he intercedes and says, listen, I've got a long range plan for you. And we kick and we scream and we disagree and we fight. Like children. The Holy Spirit is doing that parents that we see in our midst are witnesses of what the Holy Spirit does for us. And here's what he says further, how Paul explains it. Very interesting statement in verse 27. Uh, He points out a he here. I believe that he is God when he says, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now, you've got to kind of walk through that slowly. So he says that the Spirit intercedes for for us, and he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. I think what he's pointing out here is that when God searches the inner life of us, our hearts, in which God knows our hearts, our hearts are open and before him, he knows them. When he searches our hearts, the Holy Spirit is communicating, interceding for us to the Father on our behalf. He's interceding for us. When God searches the inner life of me, my heart, the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. Um... To, to, to help me. So the Holy Spirit is active in my life, interceding to help bring about the ultimate benefit of my life, which is this. The word intercede, when used here in this text, means to bring us in line with the will and purpose of God. That's the ultimate objective, the ultimate goal. To bring my entire being under God's care, to bring my entire will and mind aligned with the will and the mind of God. And the Holy Spirit is active constantly in your life, working to intercede so that you and I might be aligned with the will of God. Wow. You and I ought to be grateful for this because when, the whole, when God, I know I am, when God reviews the inner life of me, the inner working of me, if he found in there without the Holy Spirit, he would not find all these good things. Because what's inside of me is not always good. What's inside of me sometimes is envy and covetousness and jealousy. What's inside of me is sometimes deception and sometimes, you know, dishonesty. That's what's inside of me. And sometimes I want things to happen. I want things to change that are not driven by the will of God, but my will, because I think what I want will give me blessing. And the Holy Spirit intercedes and says, uh, I heard one preacher say it this way, he bears our prayers on the wings of sanity to the throne of God. Meaning he takes the things I pray for, and he says, and you know, he aligns them to the will of God. And sometimes I don't always understand how he does that. And so here we see how the Spirit works for us. And now he says it this way, with groanings too deep for words. I want to just mention so you don't walk away kind of confused about that. Uh, the word groaning is probably not the best translated word. The word is probably best translated as sigh. Um and you know people ask was well, this humans that groan is this the spirit that groans is this like praying in tongues and making audible loud noises that That's it's not what he's saying at all the word groan is just that deep exhale that deep sigh um, when you don't really know what to say and the stuff that the holy spirit is communicating to the father for us is deeper than what humans can always articulate it's better the better word for groaning as i said is sighing and this is the the you do when you don't have words to match up. Okay, so what the Spirit does, He helps. Why He has to do it? Because we have weakness. We don't know how to ask for what we need to get us to our ultimate end because we're mixed up sometimes. How He helps us? He intercedes to bring about our ultimate benefit and good. He's doing that for us constantly. But the final question is to what end? We're kind of hovering around that. And that's where verse 28 comes in. What end? What's the, what's the ultimate conclusion of this? What is the Holy Spirit interceding in my life for? First of all, he talks to a certain group in verse 28 when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. There, there, there's a certain group that the Holy Spirit is working in. There's two ways that he describes it. The, first he sa- or the second one he says is those who are called according to the purpose fancy Pauline way of just saying those who have answered the call of the gospel those who are his saints, his believers and the second way he describes it is this, those that love God, now Romans eight twenty eight is one of those um, you see it everywhere kind of like coffee mug verses I joke, you know, or maybe like a magnet on your refrigerator or the t-shirt with the with the eagle's wings behind it it's super cheesy you know, if you have one sorry, um, it's like okay, we know that for those who love God for good, and it gets kind of flowery and lost in what it's is. First of all, it's talking about the group, those who've responded to the call of the gospel and those who love God. Now, pause for a moment. Paul is not saying that if you give God a certain amount of love, he will then reciprocate the love you've given him to make things work out, to happen better for you. That's not what the Bible is saying. So it's not sort of a twisted sort of manipulation where you can leave here and say, Hey, God, I really love you. You're super great. Any chance you could help me with this thing? That's completely missing the point. What Paul is doing when he talks about those who are called and those who love God is clarifying, clarifying the group that the Holy Spirit is interceding for, that are being interceded for. And when he says those who love God, what he's talking about is those who have responded to the ultimate demonstration of God's love for them and have in turn reciprocate that love back to God. Your love for God is not the way you get God to love you. Your love for God is evidence that you've received God's love. Do you see the difference? Your love for God is not how you get God to do things for you. Your love for God is evidence that he's won your heart. A great example of this would be the prodigal son and his older brother. You know, one is a hot mess who's made a uh, complete disaster of his life. He's taken his inheritance. He's wasted it. He comes home, and all he wants to do is make um, uh, make things right with his father, and so he agrees with himself that he's going to tell his father that it would just be a servant. What he's meaning is, God, I'm going to pay you. Father, I'm going to pay you back for the rest of my life to try to make things right. And the father receives him and loves him and brings him back, and he has a relationship with the father. But there's the older brother who from all visible purposes looks like the one who's doing everything right. Who we oftentimes in our culture, in our, in our humanness, respect for his religion and look up to and sometimes want to be. Does it all right. Does everything to the team. But do you remember a very um, specific detail about that older brother? So when the younger son came home and he was frustrated by it, he was angry about it, he wasn't angry that he was going to lose time with his father, was he? He wasn't mad that he was going to miss out. Now he's got to share his father with his brother and he wanted more time with his brother. What was he mad about? He said he was jealous in the fact that the father, he said, you wouldn't even give me a goat so that I could go have a party with my friends. You see, the older brother really didn't care about the father, didn't love the father had no interest in the Father. He just wanted the Father's stuff. And so all of his obedience, all of his honor, all of his respect, all of that was manipulation to get from the Father just stuff. And you and I have to take a serious look at the inner workings of our heart to make sure that we're not here tonight for that reason. That I'm doing enough religion, that I'm being good enough so that God will just rain some good things into my life. You have got to be won by the ultimate demonstration of God's love for you. When you are, it naturally pours out love. So that's the group. Purely relating to God on the basis of love, not as gifts. And it has a certain purpose. To work all things for good. Now, you might ask, well, all things, everything? Yes, to those that love God, that have been won by his love and therefore reciprocate that love. He will work out all things. So right now, right now, if you are called according to his purpose and you are one who's returning a love to God because he's loved you, there's nothing in your life that God cannot work out for good, nothing. You have to adjust your perspective if you disagree with that. You've got to think about that. That he can work through situations to bring things to be good. Even the things that we want rid of, yes. Yes, maybe there's a time and a place that he will get rid of certain things or certain people. But in the moment now, he wants to work good in all circumstances. He wants to do that if we'll let him. So all these things. But how can we be certain of this? That's a pretty bold statement, that God can work good in all circumstances, those who are called and those who love him. How do we know this for certain? Well, I can know this for certain because of one reason. That there was an ultimate wrong in the world that took place. An ultimate evil. There was a moment in history when the ultimate injustice happened. When someone was ultimately hurt. It was Jesus at the cross. That was the ultimate wrong. And in that moment, in that event, God did not just survive that mishap and then just keep moving on. You know, that that ultimate evil, that ultimate wrong. God, God did not just see that and say, oh, this is terrible, but let, let's see if I can make it re- make it better, he took that actual event, and that event became the catalyst for what defeated sin ultimately. The crucifixion looked like a moral and civic victory for those in the world, and it became the ultimate victory for God over Satan. So what is in your life right now that's causing you difficulty, that's causing you heartache, that's causing you challenge, that we're begging God to get rid of, God might actually be using that thing to make good come in your life. And the Holy Spirit is there because of our weakness, because we don't know how to pray always for those things. So trust the Holy Spirit, become aware of what the Holy Spirit does in your life, give thanks for that, pray that He'll do that, and learn to have more faith, more hope in what He's going to do, and ultimately you will have more love for God because of what He's going to do for you, turning all things for good. So if you're here tonight and you need any help with that, we most certainly want to always be willing to help you as you come to stay in the same place.